Hey, just a reminder before we get started today that Access is an independent production. We rely on your support, and it's really easy to make a one-time, monthly, or yearly contribution to the show. So many options. You can do that by visiting glow.fm slash a podcast about abortion, and that's linked in the show notes as well. All right, here's the show. Welcome to Access, a podcast about abortion. I'm your host, Garnet Henderson. And let me tell you that Satan hates it that you're here this morning. You know that. But God loves it that you're here. And Satan hates that there's a multiplication happening this morning. It's not just staying here in our city. It's be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen? This is the call of Christians. What you're hearing is a video taken this summer outside a preferred women's health center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Near the clinic, there's a grassy lot surrounded by trees. On one end of the property, you can see a big stage with lots of sound equipment and dozens of people milling around in front. It looks like a concert. Remember, this is a video from this summer, 2020, during the pandemic, and there's hardly a mask in sight. Last Saturday, the crowd outside the clinic numbered 174 people. Here's a clip from that day. 50% and 60% of women that are obtaining an abortion have already had, they've already had children, they're already mothers. And the abortion experience is horrific. It's dehumanizing. You walk in there, they give you a number. You don't even have a name. They call a number and you get up and you go into the room. There is no compassion, which is clear. Protesters outside abortion clinics are a pretty common sight. But over the last few years, a preferred women's health center has been mobbed. On any given Saturday, crowds there routinely number in the hundreds and sometimes the thousands. This is mostly because of an anti-abortion group called Love Life, which got its start in Charlotte but now has chapters in Raleigh and in New York City. They have taken abortion clinic protest and turned it into a massive outdoor church service. Back in December, uh, it's probably first weekend of December uh, 2015, out of nowhere, there was no parade permit, there was no warning, there was about 5,000 people mobbing Latrobe Drive. They ended up closing off the streets because there was just too many bodies in the street. Um, That was the first day that, like, we really didn't have any real sense of being able to get people in the clinic. We didn't really also have police help on that one either because there were just so many people. um, And they were gathering on an empty property, though it wasn't theirs. There's 5,000 people and maybe 20 cops. They're not going to be able to enforce anything. Since then, it's just systematically gotten bigger. It's a 40-week campaign that starts usually sometime in mid-February and ends usually the weekend right before Thanksgiving. 
That's Calla Hales. She's the executive director of a preferred women's health center, which has locations in Charlotte and in Raleigh, North Carolina. Her parents founded these clinics, which she now runs. Love Life is able to set up this huge stage near the clinic on Saturdays because the owner of a nearby property donated it to them. But they're a regular presence at the clinic on weekdays, too. And on those days, they hang out right on the sidewalk, harassing patients as they come in and out of the clinic. And while most of these protesters live in the area and are affiliated with Love Life, there are a number of national anti-abortion groups that travel throughout the country protesting at different clinics. And sometimes they add to the numbers as well. Kala keeps track of these numbers. And she told me that conservatively, over the last five years, at least 61,698 people have protested at the Charlotte Clinic. And if you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out, November 19th, Love Life's big end of the 40-week event is this weekend, Saturday, November 21st. The group's leaders have said that they expect, and I quote, thousands of Christians to come out this weekend as the coronavirus pandemic rages toward a dangerous peak. A lot of their protesters seem like they don't think there's a pandemic going on. Uh, We don't see a lot of masks. We don't see any social distancing. Um, I think their leadership really has stopped even playing like they're doing that. That's Heather Mobley. She's a volunteer with Charlotte for Choice, a nonprofit organization that supports the clinic in a few ways. First, they train and organize clinic escorts. Most abortion clinics that have any kind of protester presence have escorts. And these escorts are mainly there to be a friendly face. They're not security guards, though many clinics have those too. They usually wear brightly colored vests, sometimes hot pink or rainbow. They might try to drown protesters out by playing music or ringing bells. And sometimes they'll even shield patients with big umbrellas because protesters will take pictures of their faces or their license plates. Mainly, they help patients get where they need to go because it's really disorienting, not to mention upsetting, to arrive at a clinic and hear this. here today, ma'am. We'd love to throw you a baby shower to give you a mentor to walk alongside you to offer you help finding a job. Help with child care, ma'am. We are here to build your family up, not see it torn down. And abortion is not the solution to your problems. Abortion is leaning in your own understanding. Or this. Confess in the name of Jesus, they will turn, they will turn. No longer will they be able to call evil good. So, Lord God, you will break them under conviction. You will shake them. You're shaking them now. You're shaking them now. Now, traditionally, most clinic escorts have a non engagement policy. This means that they try not to talk back to the protesters whenever possible. I spoke with escorts from all over the country for this episode. And some of them told me that this policy works for them. But in places like Charlotte, where the protest activity has gotten especially loud and aggressive, some advocates are starting to take a more direct approach and engage with the protesters intentionally. Charlotte for Choice still has clinic escorts who do not engage with protesters. But they now also have clinic defenders who basically turn the protesters' tactics right back around on them. 
Here's a video of Heather talking with one of the clinic's regular protesters. I'm sure Jesus is going to be real thrilled with you. Right, and Jesus was I'm sure he's going to say that you really thought that you were helping people out by coming out here and calling women whores. Yeah, that are. Yeah, okay. Just like you, that's you how, admitted it. That's how you are going to get people to Jesus, yeah, it's by gonna, calling them whores. So tell them the truth. Is that really effective? How many people well, you, you, got you converted? you to repent of, don't you? How many people you converted with your whore talk? Well, I'm here to witness. Oh, oh, okay. Right. God mm-hmm. does the convicting. Oh, all right. We ain't going to convict anything with you, you. you start off in a church? As Love Life has decided to expand their mission, because they, they like to term the abortion clinic in the mission field, they were existing in a space that they were allowed to feel comfortable in. And so it, it gave them what they thought of as more authority to expand to make this environment more uncomfortable for patients really across the country. And I honestly think they're trying to expand internationally, which is frightening. So when they're not allowed to exist in that space comfortably, it does impact the numbers of protesters we have coming out because if people see their live stream and see that it's not just this pleasant prayer walk and where they can, you know, get their Jesus points for the weekend and feel good about themselves our clinic defenders, where you can hear them audibly in the live stream. It also helps them take their camera away from facing the clinic. Um, There's far less young children coming out, I think, since the defenders have taken a more aggressive approach, which used to be a very common occurrence. Um, They would bring their littles and preteens out um, in like little homeschool pods. The second voice you heard there was that of Jessica Thomas. She's also a volunteer with Charlotte for Choice, and she's one of the escort leaders. A lot of the clinic defenders are young activists in their teens or early 20s, and they've gone viral this year on TikTok. Their videos are really funny, and they're making people more aware of this problem of abortion clinic harassment. Here's one of the defenders talking to a group of male protesters. <laughs> because I want to end abortion. If you all got vasectomies, if you all got vasectomies, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, you just only so, want to tell women what to do. Um. And here's another defender reading the lyrics of Cardi B's song "WAP" to Flip Benham, the national leader of an extremist anti-abortion group called Operation Save America. Several clinic escorts told me that Flip is known for making nasty personal comments to patients and to escorts. Give me everything you've got for this wet-ass pussy. Beat it up. Catch a charge. Extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top, I want to ride. I do a Kegel while it's inside. Spit in my mouth, look in my eyes. This pussy is wet. It's been really nice to have their energy, their enthusiasm, you know, their willingness to get up at like dark 30 on Saturdays. I mean, they've just, they've really impressed me They're I think that a lot of generations wanted to write them off and that, that was a dumb move. They all have such moxie. They really do. I can tell you that it's a radical change of pace for us. Um, you know, we've always been told whether it be from like outside Um, professional organizations or from our predecessors that to stick your head down and let them go past you and don't engage, don't talk about it. Maybe they won't bother you. And, you know, like Heather and Jess said that they really gained a lot of ground and they felt comfortable 
doing this and, you know, bringing this, I'm for lack of a better term, violence to our doorstep. Um, and I can tell you that it, this decision to be more actively uh, forward with um, counter protesting has gotten some very mixed feedback from my colleagues. We've for five years, whatever iteration of Charlotte for Choice in the clinic when working together, we have tried our damnedest to work with the city. We've been above reproach every time the clinic is the clinic has been asked or the volunteers have been asked to do something by the city or the police. We're never given the same respect that they are giving to the protesters. And it's always, you guys can act better than this. Don't, you know, like be cordial. It didn't work. It didn't make the equation better. It didn't make patient access easier. It didn't make patients less traumatized when they got into the parking lot. It didn't make them less anxious about walking from their vehicles to the clinic doors. Um, I mean, arguably, us putting our heads down made this situation one of the worst in the country. They, I mean, they have the entire property next door. The actual level of noise is outrageous. It is a cacophony of noise, of screeching voices, of prayer, of music. Um, I'm going to say the counter-protest approach has definitely added noise. It has definitely added to noise, but it hasn't added to hate. Another clinic escort group taking a similar approach is the Pink House Defenders. They're escorts at Mississippi's last remaining abortion clinic, the Jackson Women's Health Organization, a.k.a. the Pink House. I spoke with Dorenda Hancock, who's been volunteering at the Pink House since 2013, and Kim Gibson, who joined her in 2017. Together, they also run a nonprofit called We Engage. The name pretty much tells you what you need to know. Kim speaks first here. We're full on. <laughs> Always have been. <laughs> that's, that's the We Engage part of it. We full on do. I mean, now it, each, each person's different. Everybody, you know, that's the one thing we're in a unique crew. And there are other escort teams that do as well. But we, we engage with the protesters, generally speaking. Yeah, and it was from the second week um, that the Pink House Defenders were formed that we've engaged. Um, all of, almost all, I'm going to say actually all of the clinic escort teams across the country are taught non-engagement. That was what, you know, the norm was. And our clinic owner, Diane Derzis, came and um, I didn't organize the Defenders at that time. It was a woman named Lori Bertram Roberts. And Lori talked to them and said, you know, this not talking back to them and just letting them stand there and scream at you. That's getting really old, Diane. And Diane said, why are you doing that? <laughs> Lori said, that's how they trained us. She said, no. And she said, it's my property and my rules. She said, you do anything you need to de- do short of physical contact, keep them out of here. And so from that moment on, we've engaged. And for years it was only us and Huntsville, Alabama. Everyone else did not. And the last two to three years, that's starting to change. Crowds at the Pink House range in size from five or six people to 40 or more, depending on what's going on. Like I said, there are a lot of anti-abortion groups that travel to protest at different clinics. And given its status as the last clinic in Mississippi, 
the Pink House does see a lot of activity from these groups, in addition to its own regular locals. Here's a video from last year. Coleman Boyd, a physician and a leader with Operation Save America who lives in Mississippi, has one of his kids on the mic. I love you, Mommy. Jesus loves you, Mommy. Jesus loves you, Mommy. Mommy, please don't kill me. What did I do wrong, Mommy? Mommy, Jesus loves you. Protesters at the Pink House are loud and aggressive. And the pandemic has only made things worse. Being out there during COVID, as you know, it's taken on a whole different thing. The antis, especially in the beginning, were a lot more aggressive. Here's a video Kim took in April. She's sitting on clinic property behind a tall fence. You can hear loud music playing in an attempt to drown the protesters out. But one of them has a bullhorn that he's holding up over the fence, pointed at the building. Here's another video from May. In it, a protester is screaming about the killing of George Floyd. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's graphic, but here's the end. And I promise you, they didn't want to hear it. The police didn't want to hear those people screaming out. Well, you're here today killing a baby. You don't want to hear us, I understand. But you're going to hear us. You're brought a baby here to murdering cold blood like a cop murdered that man. Everyone I spoke with for this episode told me that few to none of the protesters at their clinics are wearing masks or physically distancing. As a result, a lot of clinic escort teams actually suspended operations for their own safety early in the pandemic. Most have restarted now, but COVID safety remains a concern. Plus, partners and other companions who would normally be able to accompany patients into the clinic can't do that right now. So more of them are waiting outside or in their cars while protesters harass them. Aggressiveness actually has gotten worse um, since the pandemic started. Since this whole COVID crisis has been made so political, the anti-abortion picketers and protesters have made it a political issue also. So they will purposely Um, not wear masks and be uh, very egregious in their actions and try and step in other people's spaces. Um, So I actually have seen that getting worse. That's Laura Chilean of Northland Family Planning, which has three clinics in the Detroit metro area. Much like Kala, this is Laura's family business. Her mom, Renee, started the clinics. And over the last few years, protests there have intensified. Our one of our clinics is a very big hotspot for protester activity. So we will have um, on a Saturday 40 to 50 people on a normal basis for the past few years, um, violating ordinance noise ordinances and violating, you know, the law um, with the police really not doing much. You know, I think with the they felt emboldened by Trump. And so since his election, we have seen um, an uptick in protester activity, period. Laura's claim that protest activity has increased since Donald Trump was elected president is borne out in statistics. 
Every year, the National Abortion Federation releases a report on disruption and violence at abortion clinics. Starting in 2016, there was a noticeable uptick in picketing, as well as incidents like trespassing, vandalism, and hate mail. In 2019 alone, there were over 123,000 incidents of picketing at abortion clinics, up from about 99,000 in 2018. I never thought that we would see someone standing outside of our clinic with an assault rifle on their back uh, strapped to them um, and uh, and also a handgun uh, in their pocket. Um, and the police said they can't do anything because it's an open carry state. Now, obviously, we have some issues with that because we have clear um, uh, history of attacks and, and bombings and uh, killings at abortion clinics. So um, I it felt much more intimidating. Also, this picketer was bringing um, a ladder to um, get to the level above our fence that we have around our property. And so we were very concerned because, I mean, somebody with an assault rifle um, at a vantage point up in the uh, over the fence on a on a ladder had such a uh, an angle to just start shooting people. I mean, it was a very valid fear, and to not have the police support um, was has been extremely disturbing. Anti-abortion extremists have killed at least eleven people since the 1990s. There have been many more attempted murders, shootings, bombings, arsons and other attacks, as well as countless threats online, via phone, in person, you name it. There's also been a disturbing rise in clinic invasions and blockades, especially within the last year. Blockades, where anti-abortion extremists physically prevent people from entering or exiting clinics, were a common tactic in the 90s. But then President Bill Clinton signed a law called the FACE Act, That stands for Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances. It makes these blockades a federal crime. And it worked pretty well for a while. But invasions and blockades are back. A few years ago, one of the Northland family planning clinics was the target of an invasion strategy known as a Red Rose Rescue. We refer to them as Red Rose Invasions, um, but they call them Red Rose Rescues. It is when Um, anti-abortion protesters actually enter, so they trespass onto private property of the clinic um, and enter the facilities. Um, In our case, they enter the waiting room. They are all carrying red roses and they are trying to pass them out to patients in the waiting room um, and trying to convince them to, quote, you know, save their baby and keep their baby. They refused to leave. In fact, at our clinic, um, they had to be, they went limp and they had to be physically carried out by multiple officers. In August, that same location experienced a blockade. There is a potential for a a face case, but also with the way it was handled by the local police was extremely um, disturbing. Uh, That morning, we had a lot of protester activity outside as the staff was arriving. Normal protester activity when they're on the sidewalk and they're not, you know, breaking any laws is not anything unusual. 
Um, so our clinic opens at 9 a.m. of that day. And um, at about 10 to 9, a group of about 10, that's how many were arrested, were 10 um, protesters, came off, um, not from the front of the property, the side. So they were congregated over on the side in these like bushes and trees that we have and um, marched over and started blocking the entrance to the clinic, sat a block, I mean, completely blocked it, sat down. We called the police and the police um, failed us in, in, in many, many ways. So the, th- the first three officers that showed up on the scene didn't check on our staff, didn't check on their well-being inside, came, arrived, and started pretty much, for lack of a better word, shooting the shit with the people who were blocking the clinic entrances. Um, and long story short, they allowed them to block the clinic entrances for an hour and a half. They blocked not only the patient entrance, but the employee entrance. And then when somebody tried to bring a patient around the building to another entrance that is an emergency exit only to bring them in the clinic, they ran around and blocked that entrance while the police were there. And the police let this all happen. It was a freaking circus, our parking lot. They didn't start arresting them until, I want to say an hour to an hour and 15 minutes after they started blocking the clinic entrances um, while they let them also run around the parking lot, knocking on patients' windows, harassing them, um, causing them, I mean, horrible trauma unnecessarily. um, And while they were trespassing on private property that they were not allowed to be on, um, the, and the bigger problem was, is that when the police came and they pulled into the parking lot, when they arrived on the scene, they, where they pulled in and parked their cars, they ended up blocking the entrance to the clinic. So people couldn't, patients in their cars couldn't even leave. They were stuck there. It felt like a hostage situation in a lot of ways. And it was emotionally unbearable. People were uh, calling on social media for the um, firing of these officers because one of the protesters was live streaming this whole event. And so you can hear the conversations with the police officers and the police officers are stating that they're with them and they understand. A few times now, I've mentioned a group called Operation Save America, and they were involved in this blockade too. This is a fundamentalist Christian group that grew out of a previous organization called Operation Rescue. They still sometimes use that name. In 1991, Operation Rescue blockaded a clinic in Wichita, Kansas, for nearly seven weeks. The doctor at that clinic, George Tiller, was later murdered in 2009. And while Operation Save America claims to be nonviolent, it has longstanding ties to other organizations that have employed violent methods. Yeah, we actually were pretty sure that all the live recording and everything that they were doing was so that they could see, you know, record how all this went down from every angle, um, the interactions with the police so that they can take this and, you know, 
start doing some trainings around the country. And this was actually the clinic that had the Red Rose rescue. And because the city did not react um, and really prosecute in a strong manner, in fact, they let the trial become uh, about abortion rather than about trespass. Um, I believe it was purposeful that they chose this uh, city and this police department to do this test on. I want you to hear from people who volunteer and work at clinics in as many parts of the country as possible. So next, we're going to hear from Elena Salisbury. She lives in Nebraska and is an escort at two clinics. One is a Planned Parenthood, and the other is the clinic of Dr. Leroy Carhart. Like Dr. Warren Hearn, who you met in episode four, Dr. Carhart is one of the few physicians in the country who will provide abortions in the third trimester of pregnancy. As a result, his clinic is a target. And just a note here that the 40 Days for Life campaign that Elena mentions is different from the 40-week campaign that Love Life runs in North Carolina and New York. 40 Days for Life is a Catholic anti-abortion campaign that has been around since the late 90s, and it happens all over the country. Just the difference between Planned Parenthood, anti-choice protesters, and the people who come to the clinic in Bellevue is extreme. It's the difference of crossing property lines, of physical assault sometimes, of the escorts from the anti-choice protesters, the just level of boldness and how empowered the anti-choice protesters feel at Dr. Carhart's clinic. Protesters will stand in the driveway and block cars turning into the parking lot of the clinic. And so just trying to protect patient safety and also just the safety of everybody else driving by because it's off of a a busy road. The staff kind of park cars as sort of a barrier or an attempt at a barrier between the some of the protesters on the sidewalk and the parking lot. There's a handful of people who have been consistently coming the entire time that I've been escorting there and definitely predate me. So there's definitely the like, I don't know, six or so core people that have been coming for years. And then every year during 40 Days for Life, the numbers just explode. And I don't know, sometimes there are 20, 30 protesters there. The escorts wear masks, the protesters do not. I think that one of the things that feels more extreme to me is that unmasked protesters are sticking their heads into the cars of patients. It is 40 days for life right now. And so there are still a lot of protesters. The COVID hasn't affected their numbers on their end at all. So my friend, who's one of the escorts at the clinic, was actually physically assaulted by one of the protesters a couple weeks ago, and she was able to get a restraining order against him. And so he hasn't been there the past few weeks, Um, but he did physically assault her by basically kind of punching her in the face with his sign. And I had had experiences with him and his group. They're called the Life Runners. They're really extreme and really aggressive physically. And they use like rhetoric that's all about battle and war. At 
Carhartt's clinic, I think that engagement happens out of necessity because if we didn't, they would physically, I don't know, they'd probably lie down in the driveway. I don't know what they would do. They would probably surround a patient's car and push them out of the way. They have their own crisis pregnancy center right next door. And so they're always trying to like redirect people there. And they have ordered vests that mimic our vests. So they have vests that like look exactly the same. They stand out there, they have clipboards, they say I'm with the clinic. There's nothing to prevent them from doing that. I, like short of physical assault, apparently nothing that they're doing is illegal. One thing that's they have co-opted lately and a specific protester in particular who's been coming for years, like longer than I've been there. And she um, has kind of co-opted Black Lives Matter language. And so she wears a shirt that says unborn lives matter. And she will specifically target patients of color and yell at them and, you know, Black Lives Matter. And why don't you think your baby's life matters? And uh, she's a white woman in her 50s, probably. I can think of one specific instance where a couple pulled into the parking lot, were able to get her inside and her partner had to go find an ATM. And so there is a gas station kind of catty corner from the clinic that they have an ATM. And you know, I told him and he got in his car to drive over there and one of the protesters followed him across the street into the gas station. So I followed her. As he was at the ATM, she was literally right next to him saying, you know, like, don't kill your baby. You know, what are you doing? Go save her from in there. Like, it's not too late. We'll take care of your baby. Like, you're doing a horrible thing. She's killing your child. They will call the police on us and get the police there, you know, oh, they're they're violating my rights or whatever. And so then the parking lot's full of police cars. And what does that say to patients? So then, you know, people maybe drive by for their appointment and see a parking lot full of cops and they're not going to come because that's scary and they don't know what's going on. And so that's another tactic that they use to intimidate people. Next, we'll meet Steph Black. Steph is a clinic escort in the D.C. area. We still see the same number of antis. Uh, and none of them wore masks or socially distanced, just like the before times. Um, on Passover, I so I'm also a practical support volunteer, and I drive patients to and from uh, abortion clinics in the DMV area. Um, I it was the first time I basically had left my apartment was agreeing to um, drive a patient uh, home from an abortion clinic where I escort, um, and I like was absolutely flabbergasted, like speechless to see anti-choicers. This was like in April to see anti-choicers like out and about, no masks, no gloves, no socially distancing outside of my clinic, you know, and one woman had the audacity to carry a sign that said, protect women. The cognitive dissonance is like so surreal to me and so astounding that these people who claim to care about protecting women and claim to care about the best interests of the people walking into that clinic are the same ones who are actively putting their lives in danger by standing too close to each other, by not wearing masks, by making pedestrians walk into a highway to avoid them on the sidewalk. I will say it's, it's the one of the two times in my whole life that I've ever broken my vow to never engage with the antis. I love and support like 
orgs like we engage who do on principle engage with antis. Uh, it's not my philosophy. It's not my um, escort collectives philosophy. And I drove back from driving that patient home, drove back to the clinic, uh, rolled down my windows and lost my mind. I could not believe that there were people there and told them to go home and told them that they were breaking the law for being there, which they were. Uh, and, you know, a woman with her protect women sign looked at me smugly and said, mm, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> to, to my saying, you are not supposed to be here. You're breaking the law. Um, you know, we, we still have kids who come. We still have parents that bring their children to the clinic uh, in a pandemic. We still have, you know, very elderly anti-choicers um, and clinic harassers who will show up and talk to each other like nothing's wrong. But what we've been doing is taking like three-week rotations um, and we're only doing half of the amount of escorts. So we've actually been very, very successful in keeping escorts safe because that is our number one concern. But for other clinics where there isn't private property, we had, um, we basically said we're not going to escort. We're, we just cannot ask people and endanger our escorts. Uh, we can't ask people to, to escort during a pandemic when antis uh, have every right to be right up in your face. Um, it's not safe for us. Uh, unfortunately, what that means is that it's also not safe for patients. It's really hard. It's really heartbreaking to know that we've, it, it feels almost like we've abandoned the patients who, who have to go into that clinic and wade through protesters, um, especially knowing that most people who get abortions aren't political about abortion access. So to be screamed at by strangers that they're horrible people, they're murderers, they're XYZ, um, lies, um, it's hard to think about. Last, we'll hear from L and S, two escorts at the same clinic in New Jersey who chose not to use their names. L speaks first. When we would train, we would tell folks that our protesters would vary from red, like a stoplight, red, yellow, and green. And so our red were ones called the screamers, and they were generally male. They would come from a local evangelical church, and they would be the ones who would wear body mics, stand as close to the door as they could, and hold uh, very large signs, most of them um, grotesque, I'd say. Uh, and they would be the loud ones. And then it was yellow. We would have ones we called the runner. Uh, she, very much how it sounds, would run after people, really, before and after the procedure. Uh, try to hand them pamphlets, try to hand them rosaries, sometimes occasionally tiny um, fetuses you can buy on bulk on Amazon. I've looked it up. Um, and so, and then the, there were a couple more and, and then you'd have the Catholics who would either stand on the same side of the street. They'd have sandwich board signs, but they were mainly quiet, generally respectful. And you'd have Catholics also across the street, um, who would just sort of pray to themselves. And what happens when folks come is that it's a, it's a fairly short street uh, and people would either come from across the street. There's no parking really in the area. So they'd be coming from across the street or down the street. Um, you would try to spot them before the runner or her similar um, protesters spotted them. It gets very loud. These days, there's a lot of folks out. It gets very tight. You know, occasionally you have companions who 
want to talk to the protesters. They have every right to do that. We, generally speaking, don't interfere. Um, sometimes they just have conversations about religion or what have you. Generally, they're respectful from both sides or they can handle themselves. So we don't generally intervene. Um, and then we just had a this last time just had a couple of companions who were just they didn't know each other, but um, they were feeding off of each other. They were feeding off the protesters. There was a lot of protesters this this time. Um, and you just you get that clash of people. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you just don't know exactly what it is. You'll have days that are easy and you're like, OK, that's great. And you have days where even at the beginning, you think something seems off today. Some of them read straight from the Bible. And, um, and then you get ones who talk about how um, sometimes women want to get abortions because they want to fit into their wedding dress or a bikini. Um, sometimes there's stuff about evolution and how we didn't come from puddles of slime. Um, our runner, um, I can hear her voice in my head. Um, and it's a lot of like, um, they, it's, it's an assembly line in there. Um, you know, they don't care about you and your baby. Um, we have resources. We can provide you help. I've never felt an imminent danger of like physical attack. Um, but the last shift that I was at, um, which was during COVID-19, um, a protester came right up to me and started talking about like, does it make you uncomfortable that I'm not wearing a mask? And we just kind of was just getting really verbally aggressive with me. Um, and then he kind of, he just continued to sort of follow me around. And at one point him and another protester kind of got both on both sides of me. I was like backed up against a building and we're, you know, obviously both unmasked. We're just talking back and forth at each other, obviously to try to try to get to me. Um, which I, you know, and I just took out my phone and started filming it. And my, my partner just started playing, <laughs> um, playing lap on his phone because they really hate that song to try to get them to move away. Um, but yeah, like, you know, when they're, when they're just so obviously intending to make you uncomfortable and knowing that they're not wearing a mask, um, they tell you that, you know, sin's the real virus one incident that we had uh, recently during the pandemic, a patient had gone into the clinic and then for some reason had come out fairly soon after. So I don't believe that she had gone through the procedure. Um, and she was sitting in her car parked right, you know, right next to the sidewalk with her companion in the car. And then she had two small children in the car with her and a group of protesters managed to wedge themselves. They had her, her, car door was open they wedged themselves into her car the patient wasn't wearing a mask the protesters weren't wearing a mask and they were just like leaning into her car like pleading with her to not go through with this and it was like i'm concerned for her safety because nobody's masked and she wasn't the patient wasn't engaging she was just kind of sitting there silently like crying very softly and i was like Ugh. so i you know I approached with my partner and we were both kind of like, you know, you can tell them to leave. You can, you can close your door. If you want to call the cops, you can call the cops. And of course the protesters didn't like that, but it's, there are sometimes those instances where you're like, you can't make those decisions for the patients. One thing that I've noticed more recently is that the 
Protestants, which I'm, which I'm assuming are mostly evangelical Protestants, um, and then the Catholics that are there do not get along with each other. So they'll sometimes start attacking each other. <laughs> there was a group of uh, evangelical protesters that were like literally following around uh, a Catholic protester and basically like chased him around the block. <laughs> um, but then one protester who was on the loudspeaker was talking, you know, was criticizing Catholics because they they prayed to Mary. Um, and he was saying that, you know, Mary wasn't anything special. Mary's not God. Mary was just a vessel. And and I, I'm sorry, I get emotional every time I think about that. Like, so I'm I'm currently trying to get pregnant myself. And knowing knowing that there are people out there and people in power who think that that's all that women are. I mean, a woman like Mary, <laughs> she doesn't even get any special treatment. She was literally just a vessel. That's all for today's show. Access is produced by me, Garnet Henderson. Our music is by Lily Sloan, and our logo is by Kate Ryan. Many thanks to all of today's guests, and special thanks to Charlotte for Choice and We Engage for letting me use their audio from the field, helping us to go where we cannot physically go during the pandemic. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can do that by visiting glow.fm slash a podcast about abortion. You can also help out by leaving a rating or review that really helps other people find us. And best of all, please share the show with a friend. Subscribe to Access wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AccessPod. A full transcript of this episode is available, as always, on our website, a podcast about abortion. Dot com. See you next month.